Hello, I'm Guy Bartlett. I'm the founder of the Business Buyers Club and also co-founder of the Fidelis Group, which is a private investment business. But today, uh, I'm really excited to have with me a special guest, a chap called Phil Jepson, who I met a couple of years back now. Uh, we're going to talk to Phil in more detail about his experience of acquiring companies, what got him interested in the subject in the first place. Um, but uh, by way of introduction, um, this video is going to be part of a, a series of short videos where we're going to talk about different components and different topics within the overall subject. I think it's really helpful to break it down for uh, anyone interested in the subject, interested in what we do, and interested either from the buy or the sell side. So, by way of introduction, um, I founded the Business Buyers Club for those that have not seen me before, back in 2014, and I did so because I'd spent some time in the early 2000s all the way through buying various businesses and really kind of learning from the ground up. Um, uh, I had uh, some success and also some failures. So I was really keen uh, when it came to teaching the topic that first of all I could demonstrate that what I'd done could translate into a coaching environment. That was the first thing, you know, could I teach what I do? And secondly, um, I was really passionate about sharing the mistakes, the things that have gone wrong. It's very easy in the coaching world, in the guru world, to talk about all the amazing things that, uh, that, that can happen. But the real, the real truth is, as we all know, that life is not that easy uh, and we get some gristle along the way uh, and things that can go wrong. So one of my uh, desire, strong desires was to share, this is what can go wrong, please don't do this uh, in the journey. So that was a key component for the Business Buyers Club since we really kind of kicked off in 2015. We've now coached, I think, probably over 150 entrepreneurs and connected with hundreds more, if not thousands. Um, there's, a, there's a body of uh, coaching videos for you to go back over and look at as well. So it's, it's very much been a passion. And I was very fortunate, and two of my mentees um, uh, eventually approached me in 2017 to join them. Uh, and together uh, the Fidelis Group was, was born uh, and since we did our first deal in uh, November 2017 that business has grown significantly and it's, it's really really exciting for me because we've been able to take the experience and develop um, a, a, an amazing group of, of businesses, a fantastic uh, team of people in the Fidelis Group uh, that support me and, and the founding partners uh, and we've also demonstrated the ability to, uh, to take the concept of buying company and developing that infinite growth concept. Um, you'll have heard me talk about that subject before if you've watched any of my previous videos, uh, but Fidelis Group is, is a kind of living, breathing example of that. And I'm talking to you today in July 2020, it's the most incredible year for all of us really, uh, with the pandemic that's happened. And the experiences that we've learned through that whole process the last three months in particular, uh, seeing the impact on our trading companies, what we've done to, to adjust around it and respond to that emergency and that environment as well. So tons and tons of experience um, to share with you guys uh, as you watch more of these videos. So that's really the, the introduction and, and, the, and the principle behind it. Um, so without further ado, I'm going to bring Phil in. Uh, and I'm going to interview Phil and we'll start talking about different components uh, as we go through the video and um, we're going to break this down into bite-sized chunks so that um, we can share these ideas with you over the course of, of, uh, of the coming weeks and, and months really and, and use that as an informative process to help you whether you're 
selling, whether you're buying uh, businesses in the UK. So welcome, Phil. Hi, Guy. It's great to be here. <laughs> it's good to have you very much. So, Phil, tell us a little bit about your original background, where you started. Uh, I know I know that you trained as a lawyer, but tell us a little about your experience of the law uh, and, and what that journey gave you and, and, and how you kind of developed along those lines. So, yeah, I, I trained as a lawyer, um, had a pretty successful legal career, actually, um, made partner pretty quickly, spent 10 years as a partner in four different law firms, again, all of which have been pretty successful businesses. Um, but in that space, I backed the wrong horse. Um, I, I, just I remember picked, talking about it. Yeah, yeah it I just picked a field yeah. of law that it's like if I'd known if then what I know now, I would have done something different. We'd all be in the Bahamas. Uh, yeah, it would have been corporate <laughs> finance all the way, but yeah. um, I backed the wrong horse. So I, I ended up in a, in a dead end, really. Mm. And it was a question of what I could do to reinvent myself. Yeah. Um, I'd always been interested in business and was interested in the business of law, but never quite knew what to do with it. So as a lawyer, once you've been in for a while, what you find is that it's really difficult to swap into a different sort of law, almost impossible. It's actually easier to get out completely and do something different than it is to transfer most of what you know into a different legal field, which is so crazy. Just, just dwelling on that for a moment then, what, what's the barrier within the legal profession then for, for that ability to, to move? What, tell us a little bit about that. It, it's, a, it's a psychological barrier. It's something about lawyers. They, they think in straight lines. They want to put things in boxes and you telling them you want to move from one box to another is just something they can't cope with. And, and is that perception or is that reality? Is, is it the classic problem of you become a specialist in a particular stream and therefore people don't trust that you can jump to a different stream, for argument's sake? Yeah. Is, is, that, is, is that...? It's more perception than reality. Okay. Because law's like anything else. It's 10% technical knowledge. Yeah. And 90% is all the other stuff. It's the business skills, it's the people skills. Yeah. So, yes, it's possible. You've got a learning curve to go up. But, I mean, I've just, I've just done it in business. I've bought a business which is in a completely different yeah. industry to one I've ever seen before. Yeah. Um, it's a heck of a learning curve. But It's interesting because I did the same thing. So I built a, a successful marketing services group. Mm. Uh, so from... 1995. Well, prior to that, I'd worked as an employee uh, and so honed my skills and knowledge in advertising. Well, I started in printing, then designed and advertising, uh, and then specialised mm. in direct marketing. Um, but in mid 90s, joined a firm to, to grow that and grew that into a group with traditional agency and digital uh, services and, and then sort of asset owning, holding mm. company, and so on. But when I left that to start buying companies, I moved into a completely different sector. Mm. So, but in a sense, I guess, perhaps like you, I had to start again. I had to completely remove yeah. myself from that particular specialism. Mm. By then, you know, I was a fellow at the Institute of Direct Marketing. I taught at Manchester Met University. Um, I set exam questions for the Institute. You know, it was quite high profile. Mm. And, and literally kind of ditched that and decided to go and do something completely different. Yeah. So I guess there's similarities there in terms yeah, of your own the experience. Yeah, doing something different thing is interesting. The thing is, you only know what you know. And, and, and if I'd known then what I know now, when I came out of the law, I would have bought a business. Mm. Mm. <laughs> quite simple. So tell no us what question. you did do. I started a business. Okay. Because... Yeah. 
that was what you did if you wanted to do, do something you saw an opportunity in a market you started a business yeah so I actually went through that whole startup thing yeah I understand how difficult it is and also I mean you and I have talked about this before the difficulties of organic growth yeah you know ultimately that just stopped yeah. the growth of the business that I started we survived it's mm. still there actually mm. Mm. but it, it I was never able to achieve my potential and the business never really achieved its potential organically. And I always knew there was something, but I didn't know what the answer was. So let's just delve into that because this is a great topic, I think, for the audience. I've held the belief now for some time that if you look at the, the marketplace, let's say you're an employee and you, you reach that point where I just don't want to do this anymore. I want to be on my own. And I've... I've I'm good friends with Nigel Bottrell, who founded the Entrepreneur Circle. Nigel talks about this as well. It's kind of that urge to, you know, leave your employment. Um, and I, I don't know if it was Nigel that coined the phrase, but somebody did anyway. It's like you leave your employer, who you, you know, varying degrees of, um, you know, how much you like them. But you kind of leave, uh, and then you go and work for a lunatic yourself mm. because you'll put yourself through more stress, pressure than you ever would yeah. have done for an employer, yet somehow it seems like the right, right thing to do. But yeah. my question to you, I guess, is would you agree with me that when you're an employee contemplating the step, all of the information is about startup? Any information that is out there about advice and guidance on, on running a business is all focused on startup businesses. Yes. Would you agree? Yes, it is. And actually, these days, it's also this whole thing of portfolio lifestyles and self-employment and the gig economy. Yeah. So people are, are, are being pushed towards the idea of freedom being I work for myself, mm -hmm. I have several streams of income. But mm -hmm. actually what these people are all doing is they're buying a job. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I've, I've mentored a number of uh, startup entrepreneurs and I've been a startup mm -hmm. entrepreneur myself. I've built three separate seven-figure businesses from scratch. So I know how hard it is. Um, I've enjoyed success and failure, you know, not quite in equal measure, but certainly some significant failure as well along the way. Mm. And so the risk factors of startup are really high, yet very few um, organizations um, promoting that idea of, you know, be your own boss ever talk about the failure mm. factor. You know, it's 50% of startups fail. Um, the attrition rate is gruesome. Mm. Uh, and often people put their life savings, their yeah. uh, assets at risk, their property and so on. And, and yet that's mm -hmm. often kind of glossed over as being a, yeah. a, a really good thing. Was that your experience when, yeah, you, absolutely. when you took that step? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I went from a six-figure salary effectively mm. to zero without even knowing when mm. the next paycheck was going to come in. Yeah. Um, as it was, we were quite lucky because it took us three months. After three months, we started seeing some money. And we were also lucky because the business we, the business I started, which I started with a partner, yeah. Yeah. didn't have significant overheads. We were able to do it in such a way that it was you know, two people, yeah. one desk, yeah. which was free, uh, a phone and mm -hmm. a computer. Yeah. We were able to start a business like that. A lot of people can't do that yeah. because the thing yeah. that they want to do has overheads yeah. it, it's 
as I say, knowing what I know now, I would never advise anyone to start a business because mm -hmm. there are actually such incredible opportunities out there mm -hmm. with businesses that are running already, yeah. but need someone else to take them over. Yeah, we'll come back to that. But I just want to explore a little bit more your experience then of your startup. Mm. So you went from a secure but hard-pressed career yeah. as a lawyer and stepped into the world of self-employment, startup and so on. Tell us a little bit about how that went. I think it was legal it, recruitment. Yes, that, it was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was, I actually went through an outplacement process mm -hmm. when I left the law because... Did, did, your, did your employers want to ease you out of the door by any chance? Was that an opportunity for you? I think they call it a mutual decision in the end. <laughs> There's a very long story there, but yeah. I, let's say it was a mutual yeah. decision. Yeah. And one thing I, I, I will say in their favour at the time was that they actually paid for me to do outplacement. Mm. That's how mutual it was. <laughs> um, Which is interesting. Sorry to jump in, but it's interesting because... That's not all that uncommon, you know, particularly with big corporates, um, not just law mm. firms, but famously, you know, I've spent a long time in the military myself, and for regular servicemen and women, you know, that's a significant part of their end of service process. Um, yet always, it seems to me that, you know, those outplacement experiences steer people towards, let's start a business. Yes, absolutely. So all your yeah. money that you've saved up and you know, your pension yeah. and all that kind of stuff. It's like, oh, let's put that into yeah. what is in truth a really high risk strategy. Yes, so absolutely. Would you agree? And it, yes, it was, the two options were be self-employed, start your own business. Mm. That was, and it was just a question of in what? It was never raised, the, the opportunity to buy or buy into an existing business yeah. just yeah. Wasn't there, and, and to be honest, and how old were you when when you made the the transition? So from I, employment I was, to I was forty three when I set okay. up yeah the business, and and did that feel like starting again? Did it feel like a uh, big opportunity? Were you excited, or or were you in trepidation in equal measure? How, how, what was the emotion around it, that transition? It was incredibly exciting, okay. actually. Yeah, um, I think. I was lucky in that I had some money behind me, mm. so I knew I could live for six months. Okay. I could pay the mortgage for six months. So you had six months, yeah. this has got to work. Absolutely. And there, really was no, there was no safety net. Yeah. There was no, I didn't have anything else, so no. the, the boats were burned. So if you'd got to six months, what was plan B? There was no plan B. Okay. But I, I had the confidence that I knew enough about the market I was getting into. I, I saw a big opportunity there. Yeah. I had the confidence that it was going to work. So yeah. actually, um, it may have been ignorance rather than anything else, ignorance of risk. Yeah. But I had total confidence that it was going to come off. I think it's really interesting because, like you, I've met a number of people. So your experience, Nigel, Entrepreneur Circle talks about this, you know, he left a high paid, you know, six figure salary job to found, um, well, the bit before the Entrepreneur mm. Circle, uh, I, I forget the name, but, but it was that thing of this has to happen, this has to work, and that kind of burning of bridges is really quite interesting. Um, mm. And my original, I wouldn't say mentor, but the guy that I, I learned a lot from, uh, Dan Pena, also talks about that. If you're 
holding on to a branch over here, you're never going to make that transition. You've got to let go. And that's a scary place, but can be very exciting as well. But that making that conscious transition, I think, is really significant. And, you know, when you're in that place where I'm just at the point of, I've, I've had enough, I'm, I'm going to do this. But it's natural human reaction to kind of go, mm, but what if? And I think it's that mm. element of how do you get that what if out of yeah. your head? For you, was it was it a, a business plan? Was it what was it having a partner that, that someone that you could work alongside? Mm. What what were the factors that gave you the confidence aside from just you knew your market? Were there mm. other components to that that yeah. gave you the springboard? At the time, having a partner helped. Yeah, and I'd actually waited because I'd had the opportunity to do it slightly earlier, but I didn't want to do it on my own mm -hmm. because. I didn't want the isolation of sitting in a room yeah. on my own. Yeah, talking to yourself. Yes, I, I didn't want that. I wanted someone else to yeah. bounce it off, but it had to be like-minded yeah. person. And it took me a while to find that that yeah. individual. Yeah. Um, once, once I'd got that in place, I'd already seen the I'd seen an opportunity in the market, and basically this was recruitment, and it was legal yeah. recruitment, yeah. and. Um, as working as a lawyer, I had been recruited, so I'd seen mm -hmm. the people who were in the market already. Yeah. Um, I'd seen what the top end of that looked like, headhunting in that space. I'd been a, a candidate of headhunters, and I'd also used headhunters as a client as well, so yeah. I'd seen both sides of that. Yeah. And I thought, these guys are okay, but it could be done better, yeah. and there's a big opportunity here because there's yeah. not a lot of people doing it. It's a big market, it's a growing market. So I, all that stuff I saw, which is why, that's why I was so confident. We didn't have a written plan. Mm -hmm. We didn't have a, a, a written budget when we started because yeah. we didn't know how quickly it was gonna go or where it was gonna go. We just believed between the two of us that this was a significant opportunity and we could take advantage of it. Yeah, fantastic. So let's delve into that a little bit then. So you've got the plan, you're all excited, mm -hmm. you found your partner, you've, you've got the outplacement paid yeah. for, so you've got yeah. some of that sort of key components in place. By your own admission, no particular plan, but you're pretty clear about what you were gonna do and you dived in. Mm. And I wanna pick up on something that you said, which is quite interesting, which is we believe that we could do it better. What was your experience then of taking the idea? Were you able to execute doing it better? Or did you find any other challenges in that journey? What was your experience starting with the idea and turning it into reality? Yeah. I think we, we were able to execute it, not because of, as it turned out, not because of technical skill or technical expertise. It was actually because we cared about what we were doing. Mm -hmm. um, and that was what a lot of people in that industry don't Okay. don't do yeah. they they take a very short term very financially driven short term view mm -hmm. of life yeah. and and myself and alex my partner at the time naturally we took a longer term view mm. we were more interested in lifetime customer value rather than what can we get out of this okay. transaction and actually that was that was what made the difference it was more our attitude and mindset to the process rather than something technical. Which is really interesting because we're going to explore this in a subsequent uh, discussion. And that idea of a kind of values-based transaction as opposed mm. to a numbers-based transaction. So what's emerging from the conversation is your philosophy is actually underpinned by human value. Mm. 
rather yeah. than than pounds, shillings, and pence. And it's for me that for viewers who watch me lots of times will know our our whole business model is around values-based transactions. Mm. It's interesting listening to you. You're saying essentially that was the same thing that the longer term financial component would take care of itself mm. if you focused on the values? Yeah. Is that a, is yes. that a fair yeah. translation? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's cause and effect. If you work on the cause, the effect yeah. will happen. Yeah. The problem with a lot of people, um, I've got a live example going on right now, is that people get fixated on the effect, mm -hmm. which is often, I want to earn more money now. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not a cause. Mm. You wanting to earn more money now is not actually going to help you do it. What mm -hmm. you've got to do is almost forget that yeah. and think, okay, there's a certain set of things I need to do, and if I do those things right, yeah. value and money will flow yeah. from that. Almost, almost the same thing as professional footballers. You know, they 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 have that eye on the prize of you know high money because it's out there, mm. forgetting the fundamentals yeah. of performance on the pitch. Yeah. Consistency of performance increases your value. Yeah. I, I love the story, I'm a, for those who don't know, I'm a Liverpool fan. Well, Terry, my partner, would laugh at me. Fan, follower, believer, whatever. And this year we finally won the Premier League. So really, really exciting. But I'm, um, I love the stories underneath it. And Henderson, as the, as the team captain, is a really good example of that. Watch some of the discussions around him and his tenacity and his willingness to keep working hard. Maybe not the most gifted player, maybe not the player that you would immediately think of as scoring amazing goals, but his, his commitment to the team and, and his commitment to his craft is, is for me, is a really good example of, of a better way to think about what all of us do. And I guess to some extent that's what you looked for in your candidates, is that right? Is that sort of finding the candidates that had a similar philosophy? Yes, absolutely. I mean, apart from anything else, you tend to gravitate towards like-minded people. Yeah. And you like spending time with yeah. like-minded people. Yeah. So um, I was looking for, whether it was firms or whether it was individual lawyers, looking mm. for firms that shared that same, that same approach, which is, yes, the short term can't be ignored, but actually it's the long term that's important. And we've and got to did, build the foundations for that. Did, did you ever turn anyone away? Did you yes. ever find yourself actively saying, I don't want to work with you? Yeah. Candidates or, or clients? Yeah, both. Yeah. Both. Um, and that's because if you, if, you, if you can't relate to someone on a values level, mm -hmm. then ultimately you're not going to serve them very well. Mm. And either you or they is going to feel let down by yeah. the transactions and the relationship, whatever mm. follows. Because mm. you can never meet their expectations yeah. and they can never meet yours. Yeah. Which is really interesting for me because we, we, were in, we have the same philosophy in the Fidelis group and something that I've always taught in the Business Buyers Club is values-based transactions are, are generally speaking mm. a lot more successful. If you focus on the relationship with the seller, um, their business, generally speaking you're going to acquire mm. the kind of company that most people would want to buy because yeah. you're going to inherit the kind of people that you would have hired mm. and that whole transition make, makes life a lot easier. So just going back to your, your business model for a moment, so just talk me through your experience of expectation versus reality. Did you find challenges that you hadn't anticipated in running the business? Because very often I've found businesses start because it's the thing, like you were a lawyer, so you understand lawyers, you understand the recruitment process. So let's start a recruitment company, so you're, you're the doer of the thing. Mm. But in running yeah. a successful business, there are lots of other components, aren't there? So 
Just talk yes. me through your experience of that whole transition yeah. from the idea, the startup, and then the reality yeah. of running a business. Yeah. And the big problem that I had, and to be honest, it's dogged me throughout the life of that business, is, is spending too much time being the doer and not spending enough time developing the business mm -hmm. and not being able to get away from the coal face, yeah. which is a problem in lots of small businesses, but particularly in a professional services yeah. type business where it's almost expected. Um, and I'd been taught as a lawyer that you lead from the front. Mm -hmm. So when you're a partner, you lead the team, but you bill more than everyone else. Mm. That was how I was you're raised. The big chief. So, yeah. yeah, and you, you lead by example. So yeah. how yeah. can you ask your team to spend lots of chargeable hours and send out lots of bills if you're not yeah. doing it. Yeah. Um, and but that I, means that you're, you're working in the business. Yeah. You're yeah. always yeah. in it, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. And it's not, it, it, I've just been reading something recently on this, actually, this distinction between on and in and, and, and what that's all about. But it's not just being in it, but it's too deeply in it. It's more about wearing the wrong hat in the business mm. rather than working mm. in the business. Mm. So I was very much wearing an operator hat, not an owner hat and not an investor hat. Yeah. And I knew, I mean, the, the, the frustrating thing about it was I knew I was doing it. Mm. Mm. Um, but almost, I, I, almost powerless to do anything yeah, about it. I couldn't stop. Yeah. And because once you get into that mindset, yeah. then you realize that no one else can do it as well as you. Yeah. So. Yeah. Anyone else you bring in and start to try and develop, they can't do it like you do it. Yeah. So you then take it back in. Yeah. And and you're on that kind of cycle, that hamster wheel, aren't yeah. you? It's like it's horrendous. I've got to it's, be doing this to generate yeah. the revenue. Yeah. The revenue is my living. I want to get off that hamster wheel so I can improve the business processes yeah. to regenerate the hamster wheel. But in the meantime, the hamster wheel is going to grind to a halt, and I've got no living. So it's like, how do I break yeah. out of that? And I love the, um, I think there's a, it might be a Disney or a Pixar movie. It's like, um, I've forgotten what it's called now, it's kind of pets at home mm. thing. And there's this great line of this hamster on the wheel and he goes, I run and I run and I get nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah, great. And, and it's, and I, and I, yeah. you know, I, I know what that's yeah. like. It's a real challenge. Yeah, it's, it's awful. And I'd had the business for 12 years before it really hit me. Um, I woke up one morning, this was in 2016. Mm. Um, I'd been unhappy for a while and frustrated for a while, but yeah. couldn't put my finger on it. Yeah. And I woke up one morning and I just went, hang on a minute. These people, uh, we had like a dozen people in the business. Yeah. And I'm thinking, these people are not working for me. Yeah. I'm working for them. Yeah. It was completely the wrong yeah. way around. And I was the hamster on the wheel, yeah. trying to keep the wheel spinning enough to generate the cash to mm -hmm. pay their wages. Yeah. And none of them was as committed as I was. None of them was generating money like I was. None of them no. really cared mm. anything like as much mm. as I did, mm. obviously, because I was the owner. Yeah. And, and I just, I just realized I, everything was completely upside down. Yeah. And then it's, the thing with business is you're always, you always are where you are. So you can't just say, okay, stop, cut. I want to start Press again. Pause. I want to start again from somewhere else because yeah. you are where you are. So you've got to, yeah. wherever that is, however painful it is, you've got to dig yourself 
mm-hmm. out of that mm-hmm. if you want to get back to the, the start point even for where yeah. you want to get to. So yeah. that was what that yeah. was what I was faced with. So yeah. that was yeah. that was probably the f- the first step on the journey that's mm. brought me from mm. the startup and yeah. being a successful operator yeah. to where I am now. Yeah. yeah. That's been brilliant, Phil. So um, that's neatly brought us to 2016. We're going to press pause at that point. We're going to come back. There's some brilliant topics to explore in the next video. Um, So I want to thank you for your openness and a fascinating discussion of kind of your journey from employee to business owner, but actually owning a job. Mm. I think it's a fair description. And the light bulb moment that hit you in 2016. We're going to press pause there. Thanks very much, Phil. And then in the next video, we'll explore what happened next. So until next time, see you on the other side.